This is the InFocus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the InFocus podcast. I'm your host G Sampath. The Rajya Sabha passed the Wildlife Protection Amendment Bill 2021 earlier this month. The Lok Sabha had cleared it 4 months ago in August. This bill which amends the Wildlife Protection Act 1972 aims to help with the implementation of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Flora and Fauna or CITES as it's known and India is a signatory of CITES and it has also enhanced provi- penal provisions for violations under this bill but this uh, new legislation has also raised some concerns one of them is that it leaves the door open for commercial trade in elephants it has also been criticized for diluting the federal framework by seeking to displace the state boards of wildlife which are chaired by the chief minister with the standing committee of the board of wildlife which would be headed by the union forest minister In this episode we take a closer look at the bill at what works and what doesn't work and we are joined today by environmental journalist Prerna Bindra who is also a visiting faculty at the National Center for Biological Sciences and a recipient of the Carl Zeiss Wildlife Conservation Award Prerna great to have you back on in focus thank you so much sampath it's a pleasure to be back and to be talking about wildlife again great So I wanted to sort of start by having you come in uh, from a broader perspective of uh, conservationists but I understand many of them had expected that this amendment bill uh, would be a great opportunity to plug some of the holes in the older act the 1972 act so do you think the government has used this opportunity well or does the bill miss out on any core changes that should have uh, helped Uh, thanks for that question sampath so yes this is a very significant development as far as protection of wildlife is concerned and and to just give you a bit brief background you know india introduced this act in 1972 when you know, you know environment climate change conservation wildlife was weren't buzzwords they weren't in fashion they weren't and it was quite a pioneering law which which protected and has one of been one of the most successful acts in in a sense because india does today have you know the greatest number of tigers uh, wild tigers wild elephants it has retained species which have disappeared from the subcontinent it has predators which have vanished from other range countries like tigers uh, to name just one asiatic lion so it it's a matter of great pride of and and that goes to it, it was a very visionary act and for and, and for such a young country facing many complex issues so it, i think now to come to your question i just wanted to give that background and it it continues to be one of the strongest laws globally to protect wildlife and i think india's success in conservation is e because of the legal framework and two because of the cultural context of india to come to a question sampath well <laughs> i don't think we had a lot of expectations when i say we i mean con- conservationists because unfortunately the trend has been that any changes in the legal policy regulatory framework as far as environment is con- is concerned it's mainly been to 
dilute such regulatory frameworks that or safeguards that protect our environment, wildlife, forests, etc. Having said that, given that there's been time and there we have more challenges as far as conservation of wildlife is concerned, there there are a lot of missed opportunities that we see in this uh, newly amended bill. And the, the first thing that I would like to say here is, I would like to start from the preamble itself. The preamble of the earlier act, which actually lays the tone of what is the purpose of the act, was the protection of wild animals, birds and plants. The emphasis being on protection. What it says now is that it is the conservation, protection and management of wild animals, birds and plants. It introduces the word management, which to me is, and to I, I think to many of us, it might seem a very small thing, but it is a departure, a shift of seeing wildlife as a resource because as managing something. So I, I have issues with that. So the original act did not have anything to, it only spoke about protection and conservation. No management was there. No, the preamble didn't. Why we recognize that, yes, we manage wildlife given that it's in a human-dominated landscape and supracene, et cetera, et cetera. But, but having it, no, it wasn't there. And having it in the preamble is, you know, language is important. Communication is important. And what you say in the preamble is the intent of the act. And it is reflected. Would you say this is a shift in the philosophy of uh, approach towards wildlife itself? I would definitely say so. I would definitely say so. And that is reflected throughout the act. And including in the introduction of CITES, which uh, CITS, which we, to make it easier, call CITES. And also the emphasis on captive wildlife. What can, can you elaborate a bit on the emphasis? What do you mean by emphasis on captive wildlife? We'll come to that when we speak about elephants, which I assume, since you spoke about it in the introduction, will be part of the uh, discussion, uh, definitely. So, you know, I mean, when I what I meant was your, your question was very good in, in terms of, yes, there is a shift in philosophy. It, it at least indicates a shift in philosophy, which is reflected in the act to a some extent through these these issues which we will discuss further into the discussion so the three missed opportunities i mean as i said there are more but quickly i'll go through three one is wildlife outside protected areas protected areas are only five percent of india which is incidentally uh, less than half the global world average of ten percent and we have See, even if you look at elephants, about 70% of our elephants are outside protected areas. About half of our tigers are outside protected areas. Leopards. We have a whole, I mean, men, uh, wolves are, are mainly outside protected areas. So, and we don't have any uh, uh, well thought of, laid out strategy, policy framework, regulatory framework to protect these. And I would have thought that you know, to safeguard um, wildlife outside protected areas, habitats outside protected areas, key elephant corridors, some kind of key wildlife corridors, some kind of regulation of development activities in key corridors which connect forests, which connect protected areas, 
including eco-sensitive zones in some giving some kind of graded protection not making them protected areas but some kind of graded protection because eco-sensitive zones is about regulated land use and it is inclusive in many ways because it has local communities on the eco-sensitive management committee so i think we have missed out a huge opportunity here of of providing protection to wildlife and wildlife habitats and keep wildlife corridors outside protected areas so that's one the second is and it kind of flows that because of this we because of the wildlife outside we have human wildlife conflict which is one of our most contentious most uh, i mean it's a central issue in conservation today we are lo- losing lives we lose about 500 people to elephants every year and we lose uh, livelihoods in terms of loss of crops we uh, loss of cattle to predators i mean there is there is and then, and these are just just and of course not just tigers or leopards or elephants we lose thousands of people to snake bites i think about 50000 what are we doing to we still we have some policy frameworks we have guidance guidelines we have sops standard operating procedures but i think we needed to get something within law to be able to handle the scale and to understand the gravity to take this gravity of the conflict on board because we losing wildlife as well we losing human life wildlife is being poisoned you know retaliation by electrocution etc and and it's it's also eroding our remarkable tolerance and acceptance of wildlife it's putting people who protect wildlife at risk because when forest department go in this hugely fraught condition where where people have lost lives people have lost their livelihood and one night you know they are the ones who are targeted we need to I, i mean and and i think the joint parliamentary committee had an excellent um, recommendation on that of of having human wildlife advisory committees at state level with experts etc etc so that's the second one the third one is wildlife science is you know it's it's kind of silent on wildlife science because our conservation our protection and management when we have institutes which have played very pioneering roles such as wildlife institute of india fri etc but getting permissions for or marrying science to policy is getting permissions for research is a hugely complicated impossible process and marrying it to science that are that management of protected areas that conservation of species is based on science so working together with scientists is something that this this they should have enabled so you so you don't think this amendment is uh, is sort of robust from a scientific perspective no no i don't think it is well yeah it it lacks that element of enabling science based conservation or even making institute institutes like wildlife institute of india more robust and independent while retaining its independence and yes it is it lacks scientific basis for even for many of the amendments that it has um, introduced i'll give one example uh, which is the rationalization of schedule 
animals. Now, what does schedule protection under schedules mean? Schedule one would be the highest protection, say for tigers, leopards, elephants. Schedule two is slightly lesser protection, and the earlier act had five schedules. So they have rationalized it, made it two schedules. I'm a little scared of this term rationalization because generally when you say you're rationalizing a PA, you kind of tend to cull it, delete parts of it. So now there are what happens to the animals which were in schedule three and four? So they have so that's a bit of an issue because see, there was a need to update the schedules definitely. Because species which we which were earlier considered to be common, take for an example hyena or even jockals. I mean, vultures were considered uh, hugely common before, but we have we have placed them in critically endangered species. But many species which were considered common are not so common anymore. They are vulnerable, they are being hunted, their habitat is being lost. So there needed to be this. But what they've done is they've kind of... So now we have a fewer species listed and there hasn't been any sign, you know, any science or rationalization or logic which has gone into so-called rationalization of schedules. So we have now the schedule one, which continues to have the highest protection and schedule two, which is very silent on the, the schedules are very, so while mammals are exhaustively covered, more or less, uh, others like amphibians, uh, reptiles, marine species, aquatic species, fish, invertebrates, they are very poorly represented. So, which is which is a huge problem because now they don't have that level of protection. They're not. They're not. They're nowhere. So, we needed this updating of scheduled uh, species species given protection under schedules, but it needed to be a robust scientific expert uh, exercise with consultation, taking available knowledge and uh, expertise on board. It's just. It's it's that is it's such a pity because and I, I think I get into another problem of vermin in, in this, if if you will allow me. Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was gonna ask you anyway about this whole uh, whole power of the central government to declare a species as vermin. I mean, isn't isn't it sort of outdated? Do other countries also have this kind of a system where you can declare a species as vermin? Because and there have also been some controversies around this, right? In, in some in, in, in some places. Uh, monkeys are de- declared as vermin, but they are also wild and endangered in some other states. So, how does this whole thing work? I mean, especially from the science angle that you brought in. So, before I answer your question, I I, I think an act, who the spirit of the act is protection. The spirit of the act is wildlife conservation. That's that's, and by by the use of the term vermin which is such a derogatory, it maligns a species. I think the terminology does not sit well at all. Yes, the earlier act also had it. It needed to be changed. So, you know, that is my first and principal uh, issue with this. So earlier on, uh, in the principal act, as I would call the original 1972 act, with its subsequent amendments as well. So uh, let me also point out here, there have been subsequent amendments since 1972. But this one has been the most comprehensive and most, uh, you know, has changed thing, things most significantly. 
So in the Principal Act, the central government could declare any wild animal not listed in Schedule 1 and Part 2 of the Schedule 2. They could say that this is a vermin and then strategize how it how that could be hunted, whatever. You couldn't just like go and, you know, go and shoot it. There were still some rules and regulations around it. And Schedule 5 of that uh, Principal Act had listed, had species which were listed as vermin, while they have not defined what vermin is. But there were common crow and there was fruit bats. I mean, which is why I said it needs to be updated, you know. Why? It's just, I think it's a kind of a prejudice that a fruit bat is a vermin, but fruit bats are actually pollinators. While we celebrate bees as pollinators, we kind of malign bats just because of myths or that that surround it. So there needed to be an upgradation. But what has happened now is that it retains the powers to declare a wild species vermin, but now only Schedule 1 cannot be declared a vermin. Anything beyond Schedule 2. So you are opening up because you have shrunk the schedules. That leaves the field open for a lot of species, you know, to be declared as vermin. So once a species is declared as vermin, it's like open system, like anybody can go and shoot them or whatever. No, it, I mean, there will be still some, some rules and regulations surrounding it. So like, see, like you said, you know, there have been a lot of controversy because... I recall Goa had declared for peacocks vermin. They declared gore, which was its state animal as vermin. And of course, there are issues. A state cannot do it. A center does it. So it applies to the center for permission. And even when you shoot an animal, you are you are required certain kinds of rules and regulations that you have to seek permission, and et cetera, et cetera. So people do find it easier, if I may say so, to just do away with the animal. But having said that, this this particular, you know, issue of leaving Schedule 2, which includes a lot of species which are not common anymore, open to be declared as vermin without any scientific basis. How, what, where, you know, you need to find, have some scientific basis to say species X is a vermin. And where is it? It cannot be vermin Say, where I'm sitting, perhaps in Gurgaon or you're sitting in Chennai or wherever it might be. Perhaps it is a particular species is causing, one recognizes that species do cause a lot of damage, especially to people who live, you know, close to protected areas or on wildlife rich areas. But then it has to be site specific and a well thought out strategy that how do you manage this situation? Right, so on this vermin uh, question, Prena, uh, we, we'll sort of uh, end it there by saying that it lacks a scientific kind of a basis. I'm sorry to interrupt you, we need to move on because we're running out of time. So I, I wanted to basically talk to you about this other concern about uh, the state boards of uh, board for wildlife. I mean, earlier, uh, the state boards which used to be chaired by the chief minister had some kind of a role, or uh, they still do have a role in clearing projects and so on. But now uh, there is going to be this standing committee of, uh, of a board of wildlife, I mean, which is going to be headed by the central government uh, person. So how do you see this uh, sort of impacting how projects are cleared and wildlife protected? 
So some fears that this centralization is going to help in sort of one, it will sort of dilute the federal framework and two, it will end up fast tracking clearances without adequate safeguards. So what are your thoughts on this? So my biggest concern here is, see, the national, the state board for wildlife had was chaired by the chief minister. Now, wildlife across the board, nationally and states, is at the bottom of the bucket list as far priority wise. It does, you know, it's very rarely that it's part of the policy framework. It's part of a priority. But this was one body which was chaired by the prime uh, chief minister and actually had the you know where, where the chief minister sits and discusses issues of wildlife with the members of the state board who presumably are at, represented which is represented by some experts some uh, independent experts scientists conservationists etc so you had one forum where you would get the ear of the chief minister and state boards have done good there are a lot of problems now but if pretty much like the national board for wildlife it is not only meant to clear projects and development activities in fact it is meant to regulate it in the interests of wildlife there is this big distinction it's not meant to be a rubber stamp and that is only one of its functions the other functions are should these to like do you know declare protected areas new protected areas wildlife conservation bring up issues which are very problematic in the state bring them to the attention of the chief minister policies to protect wildlife etc etc like maharashtra has i think in the past few state board meetings made some over 16 conservation reserves two sanctuaries so but now when you are making a standing committee out of it the state boards will never meet which are chaired by the chief minister the standing pretty much like the national board which now is chaired by the prime minister but i don't think it has met even once since 2014 so you won't have the you know that kind of gravitas that is attached to the state board the standing committee pretty much like the standing committee of the national board for wildlife will be reduced to a rubber stamp where you will have a of course you lose the See, ultimately, it's the state which will declare a protected area. It is because the land is a state subject. I mean, actual the declaration notification. And to have, you know, the center here, that is one issue. But to dilute it by just having a standing committee, and that will generally meet as the national board does to clear projects. So what is the difference between a, between a national board for wildlife and a standing committee? of a board of wildlife or whatever it's called. How are they different? So the national board is the main board, chaired by the prime minister. It has 15 independent members, NGOs plus individuals. And then it has a gamut of uh, uh, government authorities, not just from the forest, uh, like uh, not just forest authorities, but also Others, like say the tribal secretary, uh, the mining secretary, the travel secretary, the chiefs of armed forces, because all of all sectors impact wildlife. And the standing committee is drawn from this national board. It means once in three months is chaired by the environment minister and it does the function of the national board. But what we have seen over time, if you look at the minutes, all that the 
standing committee seems to be concerned with is clearing projects which is what is a similar dilution that is going to happen to the state boards right so we can i, I suppose we can sort of uh, sort of sum it up as to say that uh, i don't know i don't know if we can call it the rubber stampification of these statutory bodies definitely call it it is it is diluting the state boards and making it into a rubber stamp pretty much in on the lines of the standing committees of the national board for wildlife right okay so much for this standing committee uh, critique which we have seen coming in from different quarters now going on to the next big uh, concern which also came up in the rajya sabha debate earlier uh, this month uh, which is to do with the transportation of elephants apparently if if somebody declare has a certificate of ownership uh, they can uh, transfer an elephant for a religious or any other purpose uh, which sort of leaves it wide open like like how does this uh, work Well, that's yeah. See that uh, this particular amendment created a lot of angst, um, and which only goes to show how much we revere elephants, right? But see, what the earlier principal act do- does is it prohibits trade in all captive wildlife and any non-commercial transfer across state boundaries without express permission from the concerned chief wildlife warden. Now the new act. the amendment act uh, bill exempted the elephant from this blanket uh, prohibition so in one sense it effectively allowed for commercial sale and purchase and transfer of live elephants it enabled it right and so with a lot of representations etc etc including by the parliamentary standing committee uh, chaired by ajay ram ramesh so what they had uh recommended that this particular thing be um you know the section be banned which enables it but allow for religious allow for use of elephants for religious purpose now what the um rajya sabha the, the bill has done is as you say provided they have said that transfer or transport of a captive elephant for a religious or any other purpose now any other purpose as you say is open for interpretation it can be transported say for a private zoo which which we have seen as happening that is why the angst there were there are reports of captive elef- uh, of wild elephants being captured and being transported to a private zoo in gujarat it is a it is a huge tragedy that an animal that we revere as god that we protect as schedule one species we allow its captivity and we know they and even to my i mean and a lot of committees including the gaja report had said that we need to move away from it we cannot this is the one wild animal in which captivity is made legal private captivity and it's even for religious purposes however controversial this statement may be we need to move away to just give a small example how animals suffer in kerala from 2018 140 captive elephants have died and most of them and this is from an rti of from forest department records and this was largely due to cruelty and negligence and you know from we have 2675 captive elephants in india this was a somebody i think one of the mp's pointed out in rajya sabha debate of which only 1 to 51 have ownership certificates where are the others come from so we are allowing the you know it is enabling legal trade 
and this this loophole will enable trade actually capturing of live elephants and i think it's it's fairly ironic uh, that you know an elephant an animal which is sort of got certain amount of religious symbolism and reverence attached to it is uh, is sort of having to sort of pay a price so to speak because of that in terms of an exception being made for sale purchase activities well that is definitely i think we hope that you know this will be sort of amended at some future course at some future point one final question pair now we're running out of time i can see that we have got only a few minutes left so just final uh, quick comments on the penal provisions of the bill because i mean i mean my impression is that the fines and the prison sentences etc they are far more stringent than the earlier act so what is your broad uh, take on that penal provisions so, so do i just quickly answer that so there is they just they've increased the fines substantially for uh, offenses and the only thing that i would like to say here and also see a line about citus is that the first that penal provisions have been increased fines have been increased i think from 25000 to 1 lakh in certain uh cases etc but to me that does that resolve the issue we have a good strong act the problem is the implementation we are not going to be able to just increasing fines is not going to stop the poaching hunting trade of wildlife unless we empower people on the ground unless and we have by people i mean forest staff and i also think that you know enabling w the wildlife crime control bureau the implementation of the act that's the issue not increase i don't think this penal inclusion and there's lots of debates around it which we can't get into right now so i have i'm not too impressed by it frankly if i if we have time for one line on citus yeah yeah sure sure please go ahead yeah because you know one of the reasons that that this uh, the, that the government put forward is that we are we are india is a signatory to convention of international trade of Uh, to the CITES convention but you know we are but CITES does not it is legally binding but it does not say that you have to have a law a separate law or introduce something in, into the into domestically uh, to implement it your law should adopt i mean your domestic law should incorporate it it should be sufficient that it meets the objectives of cites which the indian law does our law is more stringent see our law has a protection purpose cites at the end of the day is about while it it is a, the you know it is to prevent illegal trade and sustainable unsustainable trade but it does allow for sustainable trade of species so you are saying that uh, in a way um, even though in terms of public projection the citus is cited so to speak for uh, pushing this amendment through and we it is sort of projected as if it's going to make our laws more stringent strict etc in actuality it is actually making it less uh, than before because it allows for trade you are saying yeah they could have did needed some amendments yes but not this entire chapter which is so unwieldy and in certain cases uh which we don't have time to go into but there are certain clauses which are actually seen to be promoting trade and facilitating trade like i said for captive the 49m etc so so you know it it needed this but they have made it very unwieldy very confusing we didn't need this this certainly could not have been the reason to amend the law <laughs> no way no way 
Okay. Yeah, you are saying basically. I think. I mean, if I understand correctly, scientists cannot actually be the reason for uh, bringing in amendment law of this kind. And at the same time, now that you have brought in an amendment, there are lots of missed opportunities here. One, of course, uh, a chance to go beyond protected areas to protect and conserve wildlife outside protected areas. You gave many examples of such uh, flora and fauna. And secondly, an opportunity missed in terms of addressing human-animal conflict outside protective areas and an opportunity missed in terms of utilizing wildlife science in the way you organize uh, the various species into schedule one, schedule two, and the rationalization of this whole schedule. These are all opportunities missed. And of course, there are problems also in the way the government has used or continued to use terminologies such as vermin. Uh, to declare certain species as vermin and then act on that basis. These are all problems with the amendment bill. Hopefully, there will be more debate on it and uh, we will talk about it once again. Thank you so much, Prerna, for joining us and for sharing your thoughts and insights on this. Thank you so much, Sampal. Thank you for the opportunity. I would just like to take this opportunity to thank Vidhi, which is a legal policy group, which we have worked together on trying to address the understand these issues concerning the Wildlife Protection Act and put in our representation. So yes, um, it's been great chatting with you. And thanks again for the opportunity and for taking up this critical issue in the Hindu podcast. Thanks. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.